It's Tuesday, November 5th, 2019, 42 days into the impeachment inquiry, and this is Impeachment Today. Good morning, I'm Hayes Brown, reporter and editor at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for listening. Today, we're talking to BuzzFeed News court reporter Zoe Tillman about the Mueller report, the document Trump says totally vindicated him while also being the biggest fraud against the American people, and how it could play into the impeachment saga. If you tuned in today to hear us wax poetic about the wily and whiskered warmonger John Bolton, like I said on yesterday's episode, well, things change. That's going to be sometime in the near future, but don't blame me, blame the news. Okay, speaking of the news, let's catch up on what happened yesterday. Happy transcript week! So anyway, yesterday, House Democrats published the first two transcripts of the dozen or so closed-door depositions that they've held. Up first were former Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch and Ambassador Michael McKinley, a former top advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. A few things jumped out. Yovanovitch was recalled from her post in Ukraine in late April. We've since then learned she was the target of a multi-front pressure campaign to get her out of office. Yovanovitch's full testimony fleshed out that story with some pretty wild details. Among them were that she was told to get on the soonest plane home at 1 a.m. for her own safety. She only learned later that she wasn't returning to Kiev. Why? Because apparently, some of the State Department were worried that if she weren't physically out of Ukraine after Trump ordered her removal, that he would tweet about it. McKinley's testimony mostly focused on the plummeting morale around the State Department as news about the Ukraine call came out in September. He also told House investigators that he resigned because of Pompeo's refusal to stick up for Yovanovitch. In both transcripts, the line of questioning from the GOP members of the committees were interesting. I don't have time to go through all of them today, but there were some conspiracy theories casually thrown around and a lot of angry statements about the secret process that were clearly said knowing they'd be in the transcripts when they came out. Meanwhile, this is juicy. Lev Parnas worked with Rudy Giuliani in Ukraine, but he does not appear ready to go to jail for Rudy Giuliani. Parnas is a Ukrainian-American from Florida who worked to connect Rudy Giuliani with people in Ukraine. He's also been indicted for alleged campaign finance violations, donating money from overseas to GOP campaigns. On Monday, Parnas's lawyer said that his client is ready to cooperate with impeachment investigators. His lawyer says Parnas was, quote, very upset by President Trump's plainly false statement that he did not know him, end quote. There are pictures of Parnas and Trump together all over Parnas's private Instagram. So that stings. Given Parnas's role, though, as Rudy's right-hand man in all things Ukraine, this is a huge shift into just how deep into this off-the-books effort investigators can now gaze. Okay, that was the news. This is the noise. Last night, Rand Paul demanded that the press print the whistleblower's name. Here's what the senator said, screamed, at a Trump rally in Kentucky. We also now know the name of the whistleblower. The whistleblower needs to come before Congress as a material witness because he worked for Joe Biden at the same time Hunter Biden was getting money from corrupt oligarchs. I say tonight to the media, do your job and print his name. Now, what's interesting is that Paul knows that he can't say the whistleblower's name even if he wanted to, because federal whistleblower laws grant this person anonymity to keep them safe from retribution. So Paul is telling the crowd, the press knows who it is, so it's their fault you can't know this whistleblower's name, and in turn demanding that we in the press do the thing that he can't. I mean, 
I for one love it when a senator tells me to commit crimes on their behalf. What other crimes do you want me to commit? Jaywalking? Burglary? Hot wire car? I am open to suggestions. And now, for those of you who just need a number for all of this, we have today's reading from our Nixometer. Well, I'm not a crook. On our scale, a zero is a normal day in a normal White House, and ten is President Richard Nixon resigning and flying away in Marine One. And this morning, we are at a 6.5. I mean, we have Parnas flipping, Rand Paul tripping, more depositions drip dripping out. Oh, Jesus, it is a wild one out there, folks. All right, after the break, we talk to Zoe Tillman about the Mueller report. Stick around. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. All right, time for the segment we're calling This Fucking Thing. It's where we zoom in on a person, place, or thing that's shaping the impeachment story. Today, it's the Mueller Report, the literary doorstop that earlier this year overtook War and Peace for the title of book the most people in America lie about having read. Joining us from D.C. to discuss the report and why impeachment has us talking about it months later is BuzzFeed News Courts reporter Zoe Tillman. Thank you so much for joining us, Zoe. I am very happy to be here. So let's start with this. What's the number one thing in the Mueller report that people need to go back and read to help get a grasp on the impeachment saga? Well, I guess the first thing is just remembering who Robert Mueller is, because mm-hmm. that feels like a very long time ago. Literally a million years, yes. <laughs> I think about a million years ago. So there was that whole investigation into Russia and the campaign, and it culminated in this huge report that basically said, yes, Russia absolutely interfered in the election. And as for whether Trump tried to obstruct that investigation, well, it looked like he did, but we're not going to say for sure whether or not because it would involve making a prosecutorial decision and we don't want to do that. There are all these questions about whether the president can be prosecuted. It's a whole thing. And it kind of left everyone going, well, okay. Well, now, now what? what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it the now what was sort of nothing. It didn't really go very far. So we saw Democrats trying to do some investigating on their own, picking up on some of these threads. But it kind of petered out. There weren't any new charges. The attorney general said, nope. No crimes, nothing to see here. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Mueller, for your service. You testified to Congress, and now you're done here. Or so we thought. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) (laughs) So it's wild, though, that there's really not any smoking gun within the report itself. Just the report itself basically said, well, the president is willing to do all of these shady things. I just can't charge him for it right now. Right. And I think the overarching thing that did get us to this point is that from the very beginning, Trump was saying, this is illegitimate, and I'm going to do everything I can to try and stop it and undermine it. And that's what got us to the July phone call with the Ukrainian president, where Trump asks him to do the favor of looking into this Ukraine thing, and he references a server. And all of that goes back to all the effort that Trump and his supporters put in to trying to shift focus away from Russia, this idea that Russia tried to interfere, they say, is, you know, not supported. It's what the favor was that Trump was asking for, was to continue helping him try to undermine the legitimacy of what Mueller was doing, even though that investigation ended months ago. One of the things that's been crystal clear from the jump once we started learning about, you know, the whistleblower and all of this, and especially once the transcript-ish was released, was how much of what Giuliani was doing was about discrediting the Mueller report. But the rabbit holes he went down just seem kind of cuckoo bananas and just don't really make sense, especially when you consider that the president said the report totally exonerated him. What was their thinking in trying to push these alternate narratives? The big alternate narrative was that it was Ukraine not Russia. Right. So Giuliani was traveling to Ukraine, trying to set up meetings with Ukrainians to get proof that, in fact, it was the Ukrainians or the previous Ukrainian regime, not the current Ukrainian regime, not the new one that Trump was engaging with this year, that they were trying to interfere in the election on behalf of Hillary Clinton, or at least to help Hillary, and trying to smear Trump by making it look like he was in bed with the Russians. And that's what Giuliani was traveling around the world trying to get at, at least in part. So over the weekend, a bunch of new documents dropped, thanks to you and other BuzzFeed News colleagues, about the Mueller report and some of the workings behind it. We got a lot of descriptions about the interviews that Mueller and his team were collecting. What are some of the new things that we've learned, especially as they play into this whole impeachment inquiry? One thing that was super interesting was we saw that as soon as news broke that the DNC had been hacked, that WikiLeaks had these emails, that within the Trump campaign back in 2016, people like Paul Manafort, who was running the campaign at the time, people like Michael Flynn, who was advising the president and would go on to be his first very short-lived national security advisor, that they were already saying, not Russia, Ukraine, that they were the ones pushing this narrative, putting the bug in people's ears that there was potentially this alternative explanation. At the time, even, I think everyone was saying it's probably Russia. And later we had the U.S. intelligence community saying, yes, it was Russia. It's so wild because Paul Manafort has been, you know, at the center of a lot of this. I remember seeing in the New York Times recently that Manafort, even though he was fired by the campaign, was still working with them and was suggesting very heavily, even through the transition period, that this was Ukraine, even though Manafort one of the only people who's gone to jail over the things we've learned from the Mueller report. So there's a lot of, you know, self-interest in pushing back on this narrative. Right. And somewhat, I don't know if 
irony would be the right word, but he's in jail because of all the money he took from Ukrainian oligarchs to do work on their behalf and then hid that money from the IRS. So everything comes full circle. Everything comes full (laughs) circle. Speaking of which, though, so one of the things that Mueller basically hinted at very strongly in his report was, I can't prosecute the president, but someone... Congress, you can do something about this. So what's your read at this point? Do we get an article of impeachment based on the report? Uh, It's hard to say. I think the momentum is so strongly now among Democrats in pushing the more recent events as the reason why Trump should be impeached. You know, it really was hard for them to gain traction after the report came out in terms of getting the American people to continue to care about 2016. And what Mueller found with respect to that was sort of wishy-washy on whether Trump actually committed any crimes or did anything wrong. And absent a clear statement like that, you know, it seemed like it had kind of died down and that it was this new communication with Ukraine that got everyone really excited. And if they're going to get the American people behind them in pushing impeachment, that it needs to be this new thing and not this thing that everyone was just exhausted by. And yet despite that, House Democrats are still pushing to get all the rest of the information underlying the report. That could still change, right? Yeah. I mean, we're still in court talking about Mueller, which is fascinating. Court can move so slowly that things that happened years ago suddenly pop up and become important. So Democrats are still in court trying to get Mueller's grand jury materials, some of which is what BuzzFeed was able to get through our FOIA case this weekend. They're still trying to get it. And they're arguing that it's still part of the impeachment inquiry because all of these different investigations into Trump, they all still fall under the impeachment umbrella. That's what Speaker Nancy Pelosi said it's not just Ukraine, it's everything they're doing up till now going forward is all about what could be impeachable. So they're saying it's relevant. Wow. So, okay, let's fast forward. It's a year in the future. We've time warped to just before the 2020 election. Have people finally read the Mueller report by then? I think if you were going to read it, you would have read it. (laughs) Okay. But maybe like college students to come in the future, maybe have to read it for class. But I feel like if you were going to do it, you would have done it. And now it's just it's just going to sit gathering dust on your shelf. Again, much like War and Peace. Thank you, Zoe, for that. <laughs> okay, but before we let you go, it is time for The Kicker. Where we ask our guests to bring in a tweet, a quote, a, a something that really sums up to them where we are in this moment. So, Zoe, what do you got? So, I have a tweet from a fantastic journalist, Emily Tampkin, a former BuzzFeeder and beloved colleague of ours. She tweeted on October 17th, I just feel like if you're going to play, quote, what the framers would have wanted, you must first articulate how you personally would explain to the framers gestures broadly. (laughs) I, for one, would love to go back and try to explain to Thomas Jefferson what the fuck is happening right now. Thank you, Zoe, for bringing that extremely perfect tweet to our attention. All right, it's time to testify, the segment where we look at who's testifying next and what to expect. And today, okay, I got to say, it's really up in the air right now. House investigators have said they want a slew of Trump officials to speak to them before the process moves on to open hearings. But they are not only refusing to speak voluntarily, they're now refusing to answer subpoenas. That includes several members of the White House staff, including the acting head of the Office of Management and Budget. But they aren't budging. Sorry. 
Among those Democrats would love to hear from but may not includes two key national security figures, NSC lawyer John Eisenberg and former national security advisor John Bolton. Both of them had been asked to appear before the House, but Eisenberg blew off his subpoena on Monday. Things could change, but don't be surprised if the next person we know will testify does so in front of cameras. Okay, that's it for today. Come back tomorrow for more as we press on undaunted through the tides of faith that seek to overtake us with so goddamn many tweets. Also, since, as always, we want to hear from you, all this week, please send us the impeachment things you're most curious about. What are your questions? What doesn't make sense? Open up the Voice Memo app on your phone, tell us your questions, and email it to impeachment at buzzfeed.com. We'll be including some of the responses on a future episode, so tell us your name and where you are in the world. Be sure to subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or Apple Podcasts, and maybe leave a rating and a review. Also, tell your friends about the show as we figure this all out together. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. Is this Michelle Trachtenberg? I'll never tell. Hey, I'm Taylor Momsen, and I play Jenny Humphrey. Hi, I'm Sebastian Stan, and I played Carter Payson. That was one of the reasons I liked the character Jenny so much, is that she was very relatable. The whole thing was such a joy for me to do, and I was just so thankful that people responded the way they did to what we were doing. This really was just, like, wonderful. I, like, have, like, warm feelings inside. Yeah, me too. I'm giving you air hugs. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking In, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, Nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in. 